a aimless life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then light came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. blind man I wandered along worries and fears I heard for my own then like the blind man that God gave back his sight praise the Lord I saw the light I saw the light I saw the light no more darkness no more night now I'm so happy no sorrow a fool to wander and stray. Straight is the gate and narrow the way. Now I have traded the wrong for the right. And praise the Lord, I saw the light. And I saw the light. I saw the Good morning, City Church. Um, thank you all for being with us today. Uh, my name is Mark, and I'm part of our worship team here. Um, for our call to worship this morning, we'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Um, so hear these words, um, and actually stand with us. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, each had two or six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. Let's pray together. O most holy God, we begin this service this morning acknowledging that you are holy. You are righteous. You are pure. And you are beautiful. Lord, just like Isaiah, when we encounter all of who you are, We can't help but be distraught with our own sin and shame and our wickedness, our spiritual ugliness. Because, God, we are a people of unclean lips. And we confess this truth in mourning. But, But, God, how incredibly gracious you are. Just as you sent the angel with the burning coal to Isaiah, you have sent Jesus Christ to cleanse us from our sin. And we give you praise that we can be reconciled, that we are reconciled to you, God. Through remembering Christ's work, would you give us hope this morning for those who feel hopeless? Would you give joy to those who need joy and peace to those who feel anxious? And in whatever way, um, God, may your gospel awaken our hearts. And may we give you praise this morning by lifting our voice and singing by hearing your preached word. Oh Lord, revive our hearts today through your Holy Spirit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing Behold Our God together.
Good morning. It is great to see all of you. Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to get to worship with you this morning. Uh, here at City Church, we aspire to be an authentic community that is walking with God in our city. And so we hope and pray that this morning you experience and you encounter the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, when you came in, you should have received a, a bulletin, and in that bulletin there's a connection card, and that is a way you can let us know you are here you can let us know if you are interested in getting any more information about the church or getting plugged in with the church. You can mark any of those boxes about community groups or interested in faith or anything like that, uh, and we will follow up with you this week. Also, there's a spot on the back for prayer requests. Our staff takes time each week to pray through all of those requests, and so we love getting those prayer requests. I encourage you to fill that out if you have anything we can be praying for you about. And then you can drop that card uh, on the box on your way out, or there's a little pocket in the seat back in front of you, you can just slip it in there and we'll pick it up. Uh, if you would like to give, you can always give online or uh, you can also drop a, a gift in the box on your way back as well. A few announcements this morning. Uh, we have a few studies that are continuing to go on. Of course, we always have our community groups that meet throughout the week, Sunday night through Thursday night in people's homes uh, around the city. And so if you're not plugged in with a community group, that's a great way to get connected. I encourage you to visit the welcome table or the welcome wall, table or wall, whichever one you, you fancy here, uh, to get information about community groups and uh, when they meet and how you can get plugged in. But there are also some studies going on. There's a women's study that meets uh, virtually Monday evenings at 8 p.m. and then in person Tuesday mornings at 9.30 here. And they're going through the book of Joshua. So I think you can join that if you're interested. Just uh, fill out your connection card and express interest there. There's also a biblical theology of marriage class that is Monday evenings at 7 p.m. here, and we're getting towards the tail end of it. I think this is week seven of eight, uh, but still, if you'd like to come and, uh, and catch the last couple of weeks, I encourage you to do that. Chipper's been teaching that and doing a great job, um, so you can, you can check that out. We also have the recordings available. If you haven't been able to attend, let us know, and we're happy to pass that along to you so you can watch that. Uh, we have a membership class that is coming up November 7th. It'll be 1 to 5 p.m. at the Flanagan's home. And if you're interested in becoming a member, maybe you've been around here for a little bit, you've been checking City Church out, or maybe you've been around for a long time and you're just not a member and you want to take that next step to get plugged in or just to learn more about what we believe as a church, this is the place to do it. So we encourage you to come and check that out. Uh, again, the 7th, 1 to 5 p.m., you can express interest on your card uh, or you can RSVP as well on Realm, which is our social media app. Uh, if you're not on Realm, you can sign up for it at the welcome table in the, in the back or email us at the office and we'll get you connected there. We have a baptism celebration coming up on the 14th after the second service. Uh, if you are interested in getting baptized, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized and you want to take that next step, please let us know. We would love to meet with you, talk with you about that, pray with you through that decision. And then, of course, if you'd like to get baptized, that'd be the day to do it. So let us know again on your connection card. There's an interest meeting for uh, Aquin Jones Mentoring. So that this is a, a school that's maybe a mile or so from here, um, middle and high, I believe. And we do mentoring for, their, uh, for the students there. And it's about to resume. Is Tyler, is it going back in person? 
in January. We're going back in person in January, um, which is huge. That's an answer to prayer for us because that's been a big loss during the pandemic. We've been wanting to mentor the students there. So if you are interested in mentoring a student there, uh, there's an interest meeting this afternoon after the second service. It will be in the blue classroom downstairs. There are refreshments provided. Uh, and if you can't make it for that, but you're still interested, again, just mark in your connection card and we will follow up with you or just attend this afternoon. Uh, and then finally, there is a homeless ministry prayer meeting next Sunday, October the 31st at 1 p.m. in the community room. So we have been doing, uh, Tyler's been leading this initiative and doing a, a fantastic job of doing homeless ministry outreach in downtown. And so there's going to be a prayer meeting for that. 1 p.m. to pray for the folks that we've met so far this year. So I encourage you to come to that. Okay, we made it through all those announcements. Uh, one of my favorite things that we get to do here at City Church about once a semester or so is child dedications because you never know how they're going to go. You know, there's always <laughs> uncertainty. Uh, but it's such a, a, such a blessing. So if you, we have a few families that are dedicating their children this morning. So if that's you, go ahead and make your way up here with kids in tow, and uh, uh, while they are migrating up here, uh, a few reasons why we do child dedication. Child dedication, yeah, and we can just line up, we'll just line up this way, I'll stand down here. Uh, child dedication is a way for parents to acknowledge that children are a gift from the Lord and to give thanks to the Lord for those kids. Uh, it's a way for parents to entrust their kids to the grace of God and pray for them to one day put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord. And it's also a public commitment and profession to, to lead and spiritually nurture your kids in their home. Okay, So we have a few families here that are dedicating their kids this morning. Matt and Emily Barr are dedicating Lillian. We have Will and Jess Harris who are dedicating Ezra and Luca. And we have Alex and Stacy Payne are dedicating Isaac. All right, so I'm going to start with some vows for the parents, and if you guys, I'll read through the vows, and you can respond, I do. There's five of these, and then we'll have a, a congregational vow in support of these parents, okay? So start here. First, do you recognize these children as the gifts of God and give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing? Do you now dedicate your children to the Lord who gave them to you surrendering all worldly claims upon their lives in the hope that they will belong wholly to Jesus Christ? Do you pledge as parents that with God's fatherly help, you will bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, making every reasonable effort with patience and love to build the word of God, the character of Christ, and the joy of the Lord into their lives? Do you promise? We do. We do with God's help. Do you promise to provide through God's blessing for the physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual needs of your children, looking to your own Heavenly Father for the wisdom, love, and strength to serve them and not use them? All right. Do, do you promise God helping you to make it your regular prayer that by God's grace your children will come to trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and for the fulfillment of all his promises to them even eternal life, and in this faith, follow Jesus as Lord to obey his teachings. Thank you. Okay, great. All right, church, we are going to do a, uh, 
congregational vow here. Church, by the, we'll, and we'll respond, we do, okay? Church, by the grace of God, do you commit to support and equip these parents to fulfill their responsibility to raise their kids up in the Lord? And do you likewise commit to being good examples to these children that they might believe and treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ? We do. Okay. All right. Um, we'll start with Lillian. And if you can take this. Hey. Hey there. How are you? Oh, okay. Okay. Lillian, together with your parents who love you dearly, and this church, these people who care about the outcome of your faith, I dedicate you to God surrendering all worldly claim upon your life in the hope that you will one day fully belong to Jesus Christ forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of Lillian. Thank you for the, this precious life. We pray that you would bless her, that she would grow up to know, to love, to trust, and to follow you. Would you sustain and empower Matt and Emily with your peace and your presence? And would you grant them wisdom to raise her in the way of the Lord? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good job. Here we go. Okay. Hey, Isaac. You want to come to me, bud? What do you think? All right. That's okay. That's okay. We won't rock the boat. Okay. Here we go. Isaac together with your parents who love you dearly, and these people, this church, who care about the outcome of your faith, I dedicate you to God, surrendering all worldly claim upon your life in the hope that you will one day belong fully to Jesus Christ forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Isaac, the gift of his life. We pray that you would uh, bless him. We pray that he would grow up to know you, to follow you, to trust you, to love you all of his days. We pray that you would sustain and empower Alex and Stacy in their home, that you would give them your peace and your presence, and would you grant them wisdom to raise him up in the way of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. What do you guys think? Okay, you're good. <laughs> You guys are doing great. You guys are doing great. Veggie straws, whatever it takes, you know? All right. Hey. Hey. All right. What's up, bud? What's up? High five? High five? Can I have a big high five? Fist pound? You got it? Can you make it explode? What do you think? He's like, mm, no. I don't know who this is. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> okay. All right. Um, Luca and Ezra, together with your parents who love you dearly, and these people, this church, who care about the outcome of your faith, I dedicate you to God, surrendering all worldly claim upon your life in the hope that you will one day belong wholly to Jesus Christ forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Luca and Ezra, thank you for the, the gift of their, their lives. Lord, we pray that you would bless them, that they would grow up to know you, to love you, to trust you, to follow you all their days. Would you sustain and empower Will and Jess with your peace and your presence? And would you grant them wisdom 
to raise their children in the way of the Lord. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Can we congratulate these families? We have a, we have a, a gift that we give to all the families who dedicate their kids. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible, just great illustrated uh, children's Bible. If you have one of these already, then we encourage you just to, to bless others. If you've dedicated multiple kids, this may be your third or fourth uh, installment here, so uh, just bless another family with it, but here you go. All right, let's, thank, let's uh, appreciate them one more time. Thank you, guys. Church, it's a joy to be with you this morning. During these child dedications, I was reminded of our time this past year. Uh, if you're not aware, we were meeting outside at First Magnitude for what ended up being 50 Sundays. Um, and one of the things that was wonderful about that, I need to put an asterisk on that. I'm not sure if the parents felt like it was wonderful. But one of the wonderful things is that the kids were among us for pretty much all of those weeks. So during all of the services, the kids were running around and they were singing, and they were dancing, and they were having conversations straight through the sermon. Uh, and honestly, I think there's something that's very blessed about that, um, a really wonderful and beautiful reminder that kids are part of our church family as well. We don't just sort of like sequester them over there during the services. They're part of our family. Um, and if you're thinking, man, how do these parents do it? They do it with your help. Um, so anything you can do to help these wonderful people and serve them uh, will be greatly appreciated. And they need your help in raising these kids up in the Lord. Our scripture passage this morning is from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. The passage will be up on the screen. If you have a Bible, we would encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us. There are some blue Bibles in the baskets and the seats in front of you, and that is available as well. I try not to get too cute with uh, my sermon titles, but since we did child dedications this morning, we were calling our passage, uh, our message, I would say, Candyland Ministry. And you will see why that is in just a few minutes. Candyland Ministry. Let me read this passage for us, and then I will pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-6. through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, had shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, as we see here, uh, among many things that are happening in this passage, 
uh, Satan makes an appearance and that reminds us that everything about what we're doing this morning is opposed by the spiritual forces of evil in a very real way. And so we do not dare try to approach this text and understand it without your help. And may your spirit work accordingly, giving us ears to hear. And Father, I pray that we would leave here um, convicted where we need to be, but very much encouraged. This is an encouraging passage, especially for those who follow Christ. We love you. We commit this time to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Candyland, in my opinion, is actually a very underrated game. Um, I mean, consider, consider this description of the game that's posted online. Candyland is a simple racing board game published by Hasbro. The game requires no reading and minimal counting skills. No strategy is involved, and players are never required to make choices, just follow directions. How great is that? I mean, it, everybody these days is clamoring to play Settlers of Catan with like 17 expansion packs, but I'm exhausted. I don't want to read. I don't want to make choices. And then throw in the truly joyful Candyland artistry and you have an outstanding product. However, if you play the game with kids, which is a helpful way to cover for the fact that you actually want to play the game, you will notice this pattern. The younger kids get discouraged very easily because they don't understand the nuances of the game. When I take the lead, it looks very bad for them visually. I'm way ahead on the board. So they lose heart, which for a three-year-old means you know, tears and maybe face planting and all kinds of gesticulations. What they fail to realize is that should they persevere in drawing cards, there is an excellent chance that they will draw the Queen Frostine ice cream cone card, which changes the entire game. And because I'm a sucker, there's a very good chance I'm going to mess with the deck, so they're guaranteed to draw it. I'm calling this morning's message Candyland Ministries, because Candyland and the type of ministry Paul is talking about in verse 1 have this in common. Looks are often very deceiving and therefore very discouraging. Some of our most faithful ministries as followers of Jesus will not appear to be fruitful. And some of our most faithful ministry will be accompanied by afflictions and even attacks. In other words, it will look like we're taking a whole bunch of L's and we'll be tempted to lose heart and to shake our fists at the heavens. But in reality, we, as followers of Jesus, have something far greater on our decks, you might say, than the Queen Frosting card. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, empowering this new covenant ministry we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. So instead of losing heart, we can persevere in doing the following two things. And these exhortations will frame the rest of our time this morning. Instead of losing heart, number one... We embrace spirit-powered methods, and instead of losing hearts, number two, we proclaim 
the Spirit-powered message. Two weeks ago, we talked about Spirit-driven credentials and Spirit-driven sufficiency. Now we're adding to that, beginning with this first exhortation. We embrace Spirit-powered methods. The Apostle Paul's ministry was so fraught that a reasonable person might have assumed Paul would just hang up his cleats and potentially even advised him to do so. That's how rough it was. But in verse 1, Paul is adamant that despite the afflictions and opposition he's been enduring, he does not lose heart because he has, quote, this ministry by the mercy of God. This ministry is the new covenant ministry he talked about in chapter 3. A ministry containing so much Holy Spirit-infused power and glory that he doesn't have to worry one bit about it being efficacious. To reappropriate an analogy from the British preacher Charles Spurgeon, New Covenant ministry is kind of like letting a lion out of its cage. Even if you're having a really bad day when you release the lion, even if you're feeling particularly weak and inadequate when you release the lion, the lion is still going to do its thing. It's not really about you, which is a consideration that is simultaneously very humbling and very encouraging. Accordingly, and you can see this in verse 2, Paul is free to set aside disgraceful, underhanded ministry methods especially methods that are cunning or methods that amount to tampering with God's Word. He doesn't have to do any of that. There's no need for Paul to try to be smarter than God, as if that were even possible in the first place. There's no need for Paul to try to do the Lord's work in his own human-powered way. So Paul renounces and refuses such practices, they will have no part in his ministry. Notice, very importantly, that quitting church is not nearly the worst outcome of losing heart. Do you see this? The worst outcome is trying to stay in the ministry game by taking matters into your own hands, a posture that will wear you out or eventually cause you to adopt shortcuts that are disgraceful and underhanded. That's the worst outcome. And this clearly was not a hypothetical situation in Corinth after Paul originally ministered there and planted a church. Others started ministering in Corinth in ways that Paul previously described in chapter 2, verse 17, as peddling God's word. But not only did these folks find manipulative ways to secure a financial windfall for their ministry, they also made adjustments to the new covenant message that they were proclaiming to make it more palatable, more more acceptable to itching ears. Which makes sense, doesn't it? If you're trying to make a little bit of coin, 
off of your ministry and win the popularity contest, you probably don't want to be talking about sin and repentance. You probably don't want to be talking about the necessity of God's mercy and grace for the sake of our redemption. You probably don't want to be talking about following Jesus by denying yourself and taking up your cross. Instead, you should marginalize the seriousness of sin by talking exclusively about mistakes. Instead, you should suggest that the cross had something to do with our personal worth. Instead, you should baptize vanity under the guise of self-love and self-care. A quick aside, I'm hearing more and more talk these days, and actually a lot of songs, about finding our worth in the fact that Jesus was willing to die for us. If by worth we mean value, that was well established way before the cross, and the fact that human beings are created in the very image of God, the Imago Dei. But the wages of sin for valuable image bearers It's still death. That's how awful sin is. So the the cross doesn't doesn't put the spotlight on on the value of man, but on the glory of God and the majesty of his mercy and grace seen in his sacrificial love for people that are not all that lovable. But Paul isn't merely interested in what not to do. He wants to commend a far better way. And the better, spirit-powered way of doing new covenant ministry is this. You can see this in the middle of verse 2 through verse 4. Here's the better way. By the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. No need to be cute. No need to be slick or crafty. When we are doing new covenant ministry as followers of Jesus, we can simply tell people the truth about God and about us, both the good news and the bad news, and what to do about it. And we'll talk more about this news in a few moments. Do we need to to understand the people and the culture that we're ministering to and, and to curate our ministries accordingly? Yes. Effective and loving ministry depends in part on knowing our context. And if you read the book of Acts, you will see that Paul did this remarkably well. He made adjustments to his ministry strategies based on where he was and the people that he was ministering to. But we do not have to find artificial ways to make the truth powerful. The Spirit of God is powerful enough to transform even the coldest hearts. And we do not have to make the truth relevant. The Spirit is agile enough to transform any human heart in any place And in any age. Church, do we actually believe this? Do we actually believe in the Spirit's power and agility? 
the same Spirit of God who may well be pleased to work among a Sunday gathering of 10,000 people in Metro Los Angeles with the country's best communicator on the stage and Justin Bieber doing the music and a light show that makes the inside of Dave and Buster's feel like a library in comparison. That is the same spirit who may well be pleased to do equally powerful work among a Sunday gathering of 10 people in a rural farming community with a pastor on the stage who's exceedingly faithful, but not the country's best communicator, and a guy named Justin playing hymns on the piano, but he's Justin Smith, not Bieber. And the light show is a stream of sunlight that's making its way through a small window just above the pulpit. You believe that. The same Spirit of God who may well be pleased to work through a global evangelist speaking in a football stadium, that's the same Spirit of God who may well be pleased to work through your 60-second conversation with a coworker during a shift change, even though you've been walking around your hospital floor for the past 12 hours. Do we believe that the Spirit of God can work powerfully in all of these environments when we talk about the truth in the sight of God? I think we believe this intellectually, but are we acting like we believe it? I'll let you decide that for yourself. Lord, would you convict us where we need to be convicted, that we might be encouraged and empowered for new covenant ministry in whatever context we might find ourselves. And listen, regardless of our context, sometimes the efficaciousness of our ministry is going to look really bleak. Here's that Candyland ministry theme coming back into play, and Paul is very honest about this in verses 3 through 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Church, when we give open statements about the truth, about the gospel, there will be those who do not see the truth for what it is. In fact, sometimes, Scripture predicts, we will get on some runs where it seems like nobody is seeing anything. We'll feel like we're, we're taking some of those crazy pills that people talk about. Why? Because the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, imagery that Paul already used back in chapter 3. And in their case, that is the perishing people whom Paul is referring to here, it's veiled because the God of this world, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Verse 4. And that raises a fascinating and complicated theological conversation that we can't get into at length this morning, so for now I will say this. At various places in Scripture, responsibility for human heart-hardening 
or spiritual blinding is ascribed to God, human beings themselves, and Satan. So which is it? Who does the the heart hardening and the spiritual blinding? Well, the answer turns out to be yes. And if you're thinking, well, it's very hard to make any sense of that. What do I do with this? Yes, it is hard to make sense of that. This is a matter that appears to be beyond our full understanding as human beings. However, if we find ourselves thinking of God's agency or human agency or, or, or Satan's agency in such a way that it effectively eliminates the realness of the others, we can be certain that we're thinking of things incorrectly. So in the case of verse 4, Satan's agency in blinding the minds of unbelievers, it's very real, but it does not contradict or eliminate the realness of human moral responsibility. Even the word unbelievers hints at this. Satan's role doesn't undermine their moral culpability. So go sit in a high hill this afternoon and start thinking through that. But Paul does not bring this up in chapter 4, primarily because he wants to promote extended discussions over a cup of coffee. That's important, but that's not why he's bringing that up here. He brings this up because he wants us to know that when the gospel truth we're proclaiming seems to be running time and time again into a brick wall, it's not the gospel's fault. It's not the fault of the truth you're proclaiming. It has nothing to do with any kind of deficiency or a lack of clarity on the part of the truth. So don't lose heart, Paul is saying. Keep going. Keep speaking the truth. And understand that if Satan can keep unbelievers from seeing the light of the gospel, if Satan can do that, God can overturn that satanic work in a heartbeat if he wants to. By the power of the Spirit, he can change the game at a moment's notice. Like that. Which, by the way, is why cunning and underhanded strategies make no sense. If you think you are going to personally overturn the designs of Satan by being slick or sneaky, think again. Only the power of God is sufficient for that task. So keep going. Keep ministering. Keep being faithful. God is doing supernatural work all around you. And you just do not know where he's going to work next. Some people will remain veiled. But for others, the veil will be removed. Surprising people. You know, like the Apostle Paul, who, speaking of blindness, was literally blinded by God on the road to Damascus. Surprising people like you, surprising people like me, because I mean, the fact that any one of us would be unveiled is stunning, isn't it? If you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you're not sitting there thinking, oh yeah, it's not all that surprising that I'm in this situation, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. No, it doesn't. Your spiritual condition as a follower of Jesus is shocking 
It's totally unexpected. Even if you think you have a boring testimony. So your own condition should inspire you to keep going. No matter how thick your discouragement might be at times. As you try to bring the truth to your neighbors and to your friends and to your family and to your city. But what is this truth, verse 2, that the Spirit harnesses to transform previously hardened, unbelieving hearts? What is this gospel of the glory of Christ, verse 4, that we're supposed to be commending? What is it? That brings us to our second exhortation. Instead of losing heart, we proclaim the Spirit-powered message. Church, the truth that we speak as followers of Jesus is simultaneously simple and deep, which means that we can describe it concisely and spend hours upon hours nuancing our understanding of it and probing its layers. Both are true of the gospel. The two concise descriptions of the truth we find in our passage are as follows. Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. And then back up to verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the spirit-powered message that we are proclaiming is this. Number one, Jesus Christ as Lord. And then number two, the gospel of the glory of Christ. That's the message. Church, proclaim this, and the Spirit of God will work in such a way that spiritually dead people will be made alive. Veiled people will become unveiled. No need to be cute. It's really this simple. But we do need to be able to unpack this truth a little bit. Notice that proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord is, in some ways, as you can see in verse 5, the opposite of proclaiming ourselves. Me, myself, and I. Paul is intentionally distinguishing himself here from some of his opponents, and he's defending the foundation of his ministry, and he'll come back to this later in the letter. But church, right out of the gate, we see that narcissism is completely antithetical to gospel proclamation, to speaking truth. If you even subtly present yourself as Lord, you will not be proclaiming Jesus as Lord. Remember the chat we had um, in the very recent past about disgraceful, underhanded ministry practices? When we get amnesia about the power of the Holy Spirit and end up adopting these kinds of underhanded tactics, those practices often end up being very narcissistic, very self-oriented. 
we end up putting ourselves forward instead of Jesus. And it always starts kind of in this in a very benign way. You know, we, we make statements like, you know, unless we have a perfectly targeted and curated presence on social media, we won't reach anyone. And then one thing leads to another, and then you end up, you know, with pastors putting cool pictures of themselves and witty quotes on Instagram, and then we follow suit by, you know, taking pictures of our quiet times. Again, we need to be mindful of our context. We probably need to do some things on social media, which can be an effective tool. But understand that God doesn't need any of that to reach people. And sometimes that stuff actually obscures the true gospel. Our ministry is a ministry of service for Jesus' sake, not a ministry of self-promotion. Jesus Christ as Lord is a shocking statement that the guy who was crucified turns out, get this, to be the Messiah pointed to by literally everybody before him. Moses, the prophets, and we could go on and on. And the reason that works out is that Jesus is no longer crucified. He is raised. He is ascended. And therefore, he is Lord of all. And yes, of all. As you can find in the second chapter of Philippians, another one of Paul's letters, therefore God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father, emphasis on every. So the issue here is whether or not you'll pledge your allegiance to this Lord. Whether or not you will repent of your sin and put your hope in this Lord and be saved. Because he is Lord regardless of what you do with these action items. And this is why I've always found, you know, the, the will you make Jesus the Lord of your life question potentially misleading. I understand, I, I get what's meant here, but at the same time, Jesus' lordship is not subject to our individual responses. This is what we are proclaiming to people. Church, this is what we're, this is the message. This is what we're telling people. And it's the gospel of the glory of Christ, verse 4, because Jesus' resurrection is the definition of glory. Can't get any more glorious than that. And as the, the image of God, Jesus radiates the glory of the Father, the kind of glory present even in creation when God called light out of darkness. So we proclaim the message, and then the Spirit of God works through our proclamation, verse 6, to shine the light of God's glory into the hearts of others, just as he has to ours. And the Spirit works in this way so that we, along with 
so many others from every nation and tribe and people and language might be made alive together with Christ and truly know Jesus at the heart level, not just with our minds. Church, speak this truth. Proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. The glorious gospel. And God will blow your mind. He will blow your mind. He will shine light into the hearts of people like Jonathan Tarks, who's a, a sports writer now, pretty well regarded for a site called The Ringer, who came to truly know Christ at, of all things, an EDM concert. When he realized that the things he and his friends were doing, quote, had a lot in common with the ancient Babylon, Babylonians. <laughs> That's what he says. And then, quote, Jonathan Tarks again, the scales fell off his eyes, and he felt something like a surge of lightning go through his body. A surge of lightning that, that surpassed whatever it is that you're experiencing at an EDM concert. He'll shine light into the hearts of people like Mary Poplin, formerly a New Age enthusiast, until the Spirit of God worked powerfully through a very strange dream, a very troubling psalm, and get this, an old friend that she called out of the blue and, and asked, tell me what in the world is happening. He will shine light into the hearts of people like Thomas Terence, a very violent Klansman, who in his words was filled with hatred and deserved to die. That's what will happen. Sometimes things will seem profoundly bleak. And my sense is that they have seemed that way for quite a lot of people in the past couple of years. Is this whole ship, is the gospel, is it going down? Uh, no, it's not. An action item isn't, okay, well, let's be creative and, and try to resurrect it. No, the action item is speak the truth, this truth, and watch God work. And he's going to work on the big stage, he's going to work on the little stage, and he's going to work in your office, and he's going to work in your home. He's going to work in all of those places. That's what Paul is saying. Sometimes things will seem profoundly bleak, but if you'll allow me to um, stretch this metaphor beyond its limits, it'll seem so bleak. But then, when you least expect it, what will happen? You will, you will draw that clean, frosting card, and God will do something impossible by the power of the Spirit. The game will be entirely changed in the blink of an eye. And since we've been talking a lot about Candyland, I thought I'd give you one tip before we end our time this morning. I would encourage you to go with the blue figure because that guarantees you will win 25% of the time. Amen. Every week at City Church, we approach the Lord's table together. It's an opportunity to remember something that is not only just, <laughs> we're not here just mainly to, 
to just give ourselves some warm fuzzies, although I think this is one of the most spiritually encouraging things you can do. It's actually intended to, to motivate us and inspire us as truth proclaimers as we leave this place. It's nourishment for action. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples, and during that meal, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And then after the meal, Jesus took the cup, and as he poured it, he said, this cup is a new covenant, my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. And then the Apostle Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Because as we were just talking about, the other part of the truth is that he didn't stay dead. The reason Jesus Christ is Lord and the reason our gospel is glorious is because Jesus rose again. He ascended into the presence of the Father and his return is certain. This is an opportunity for followers of Jesus to come forward and be nourished in Christ Jesus. If that describes you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you say, hey, yes, I have a sin issue and I need a Messiah, please come forward and receive these elements. If you are here and you're investigating, you're not sure where you are spiritually, we are so glad that you are here, and we would encourage you, instead of taking this meal this morning, to simply reflect on what we've just been talking about. Reflect on the gospel truth. And would you put your hope in Messiah this morning? We would love to talk with you about that. I would love to have a conversation with you. Uh, even this morning after the service, come find me over here. As I tell people all the time, I'm wandering aimlessly. You are doing me a service by approaching me. I'm going to pray, and then after I do so, we're going to have an elder or a deacon on either side of this table, and they will have a basket with communion elements. Um, come forward after the prayer. They will take one out of the basket and put it into your hand, and you are um, certainly permitted and able to take those elements when you receive them, either back in your chair, or you can, if you want to kneel or stand and pray for a minute, you're welcome to do that as well. And then myself and or a couple of elders or deacons will be in the lobby after a communion service if you want to pray with us. Lord, we are beyond grateful for this time that you have given us to, in fact, reflect and be nourished by the simple, the simple gospel. And um, I do pray as well that this would be a, a fruitful time of heart investigation for the sake of a confession, for the sake of repentance, that your spirit would stir up um, <laughs> necessary reminders of things that we need to own, that we might freshly enjoy the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
you stand with us as we continue to sing together? Yeah. 
remain standing for our benediction. Thank you again for joining us this morning for worship. It was great to get to worship with you. A reminder to fill out your connection card. If you haven't done that yet, we'd love to hear from you. Our benediction comes from the end of 2 Corinthians. Paul writes this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Let's sing the doxology. Go in peace.